0: Hi everybody, this is Dr. Eric Corum, founder of AIM-7. Welcome back to The Blueprint, where we distill cutting-edge science, leadership, and life skills into simple tactics optimized for your busy lifestyle and goals. Today, I'm joined by Christy Ashwandan, the author of Good to Go, what the athlete and all of us can learn from the strange science of recovery. She's also the co-host of Emerging Form, a podcast about the creative process, and she's a former lead science writer at 538. I met Christy when she was doing her research for the book, Good to Go, at the Sloan MIT Sports Analytic Conference and was actually featured in a book. So this was really fun getting to connect again. In this conversation, Christy cuts the noise and explains why we need to stop focusing on gadgets and the latest recovery biohacks and really just focus on simple habits to improve recovery. Christy wisely points out that all recovery methods we engage in are just pointing us to a state of reduced stress to enhance recovery so we can achieve optimal adaptation with the least stress possible. And that sets us up for a really cool conversation on the minimal effective dose strategy. Christy and I also discussed sleep procrastination and why we need to build the right habits around bedtime so we could take advantage of our body's number one recovery tool. Christy is a brilliant person, and I know you're going to love this episode, but before we dive in, please take a moment to join my newsletter, because every Friday, I'll send you out actionable recommendations for your mind, body, and recovery, and this could include new findings in the scientific literature, or things I've just learned as a performance practitioner that I think could make a big impact in how you look, feel, and perform. So you can sign up for the newsletter at www.ericcorum.com or by clicking the link in the show notes. All right, it's time for my conversation with Christy. So let's lean in and learn from the best. Christy, thank you so much for joining me today from a place that I love to go, Colorado. <laughs> I'm very jealous right now. I'm in Houston and it's just blah. But uh,
1: <laughs> Yeah, I won't lie. It's, pre- it's pretty nice. And it's so it's such a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me on.
0: Yes, I, I'm very thankful. You and I met in, I think it was 2015, Boston. So. You were writing your book. And we had a really cool conversation in a coffee shop. And what was funny is I, you know, you kind of time goes by, your book comes out. A friend of mine calls me. He's like, man, I'm reading this amazing book and you're in this thing. And so it's really a pleasure (laughs) to kind of flip the table and get to ask you some questions. But, you know, you've been exposed to a lot of things in the world of elite athletics. Mm -hmm. You know, what's going on in the recreational world of sport? What are you seeing as far as recovery trends, maybe concepts or things that you think are really important for fo- folks to focus on, not so much from the training itself, but on like yeah. how we take care of our bodies?
1: Yeah. Well, I'll just start by saying I've seen a couple of things. And so part of the reason I wrote wrote my book, which is called Good to Go, What the Athlete and All of Us Can Learn from the strange science of recovery. But part of the reason I wrote the book is that I was seeing that all of a sudden recovery was becoming this thing that, that was the focus of a lot of marketing, you know, so it was no longer like you do your workout and then you're done. Now, all of a sudden there was all this other stuff you needed to be doing. And there was this very strong sense of FOMO, you know, there there was this sense that there are these new things you need to be doing. And if you're not doing them, your recovery is not going to be optimal. Now, on the one hand, I thought that in some ways this is a really positive development because, you know, in my heyday, which was like the nineties and two thousands, like we were really still kind of in this era where there was a lot of feeling like more is better. and You just want to train as much as you possibly can. And I think that we did not. And I personally did not put enough emphasis on recovery. You know, people Mm -hmm. sort of ask, why do you write a book? And for me, this was the book I wish I had read when I was a younger athlete. So I would have figured out the importance of recovery much earlier in my career. I, actually ended up uh, pretty severely overtrained at several times in my career. And in part, not just because I was trying to do more, 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 but uh, it took me a while to have the confidence to really learn to trust in my body and what it was telling me. Mm -hmm. And so because what it was telling me is that I'm an athlete that gets fitter faster than a lot of other people, I actually require less training. But the flip side of that is that I'm more easily overtrained. And so that Mm. line between going hard and overdoing it for me was sort of earlier than it was for other athletes. You know, if I had respected that earlier, I could have saved myself some heartache, you know, in those seasons where I had to call it a day early, because I was overtrained and, and just cooked. So anyway, so that this new emphasis on recovery, I think is really positive and it's really important. And I'm very pleased to see that now athletes and not just elite athletes, but, you know, weekend warriors, people who are exercising for health and fitness are recognizing, you know, the importance of recovery. And I like to think of recovery. So there's sort of recovery for elite athletes, but I think there's also a version of recovery for just people out living in the world who are doing exercise and training for their health and fitness and to feel better and to to look better and to to just be healthier and that is there are so many things aspects of recovery that aren't so much about that high level training but they're about giving your mind a break giving your body a break and the importance of you know mind body stuff reducing stress you know stress reduction is one of the best things you can do for your recovery and that's something that is universal to all of us and in fact if you're someone who's not an elite athlete you may be doing some other thing in your life that's very stressful you know high powered job or lots of kids at home or whatever so so it's something universal so i think that recovery is a really important thing for all of us whether you're training at a high level or not so that's kind of the high level trend is that you know it's something that everyone sort of knows about i think 20 years ago if you pulled someone on the street and asked them about recovery, they'd say, oh, man, it's great that you stopped drinking, you know, and and this is like, oh, no, wait, this is a different kind of recovery, you know. Um, So that term has really made it into the public lexicon, and, and that's good. But I think the flip side of that is that it's sort of become, you know, this opportunity for marketers and for product marketers to create things and to sell products. And I'm 100% all for products that work. And I think, you know, in one aspect, it's it's good that this is happening and that people are trying to find better ways, easier ways for people to get recovery right. But as I went in and and researched this stuff, and it was interesting, you know, I really went into the research of this book thinking... I'm going to find some really cool new technologies. You know, I'm a total data head, you know, data journalist. I love numbers, data. There's all these wearables, you know, there's sort of this, this influx of data now that we can take on. You used to write for
0: 538, didn't you? You're kind of a lead writer. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I was a lead science writer for 538 for almost five years. And so, you know, I was really all about it. And I thought I'm going to find some stuff that's really, you know, this is going to be great. Well, then I went out and I tried it and I looked into the research. I talked to a lot of, of not just the scientists who are doing the research, but also athletes and coaches who are using it. And, you know, there's sort of all this promise and all of these, these you know, the cell the on this stuff wasn't really leading up to that, you know, it really wasn't living up to the hype. And what, what I ended up sort of concluding, and this is a little bit disappointing, but stay with me because I think in the end, it's actually really good news What I've really found is that the most effective recovery tools, they aren't these novel products that you buy or gadgets to use. They aren't even necessarily things that you're doing like extra on top of your workout. They're really life habits and they're things that can improve your overall wellness along with your recovery. And so, you know, the number one thing, and I think this is the thing I quoted you about in my book is sleep. Like there's nothing more important to your recovery to your athletic recovery to your mental recovery you know just to your overall health and well-being than sleep and so people say oh this is boring this book is boring your message is boring sleep everyone knows about sleep and it's like but hold on man like are you doing it right like probably right. you're not and like you know the thing is no one wants to to find out that they need to go to bed an hour earlier or they need to you know make some sort of adjustment to their life like that they want to find the app that they can download or the gadget that they can wear, or, you know, the, the special thing that they can use, it's going to expedite it. It's like, this is something that's free. It's something that will not only help your recovery, it's going to help every aspect of your life. And like, why aren't you doing it? And, you know, we really aren't doing it. There is this thing I, I, I researchers actually have this term now for this thing called sleep procrastination where, you know, I have you know, not heard about this. Yeah, like, you know, you need to go to bed, because, you know, most people, not everyone, I'm often the exception to this, since I work from home, and I can kind of set my own hours, but most people have some time, which they have to get up in the morning, that's not negotiable. So as a result of that, if you're going to get your eight hours, or your nine hours, you know, depending on and that's the thing, sleep is individual. But there are people who say, Oh, yeah, I'm fine. on five. No, one no you're not. not. No one, <laughs> and it's interesting. You know, the research on this is fascinating to me because what happens is when you have people, and these are the people, they're they're almost always like, you know, high high profile, high, high performing. You know, the real go getters. They're getting by on five hours of sleep. Maybe on the weekends they're trying to, you know, get. Catch up, which it's really hard to just catch up in that kind of scenario. That leads
0: to social jet lag, which is.
1: It does. But what ends up happening is they tell themselves, oh, I'm fine. And what happens is, yes, they adapt to being sleep deprived, but they still have those deficits. And when they're tested, you know, all of these things that we know happen. Happened with sleep deprivation, you know, your reaction times, clear thinking, all of this is gone. But what's happened is that that has become so much the new normal for you, that you've just kind of forgotten what it feels like to actually be rested. And you don't even know how good you could be if you just went to bed a little bit earlier or adjusted your schedule a little bit, or maybe maybe you take a nap. I mean, naps can be magical, too.
0: I love this because of wearable technology. It's like we're sleep deprived now, yeah. because of choice. Yeah. It's like, you know, sorry, not wearable technology, your phone, you've got, you know, you're you're watching YouTube videos and you're watching TV (laughs) or with family or whatever. And it's like, we are depriving ourselves of sleep. It's not that we don't have an opportunity to, and it is so easy.
1: And that that's where the sleep, procrast- so sleep procrastination is like, I know I need to go to bed at 10 o'clock if I'm going to get enough sleep, but I'm just going to watch one more episode on Netflix. Or I'm just, mm-hmm. you know, the most deadly is like, I'm going to just check my email. Like it's never like, never check your email. Just never check your email, right? <laughs> like, there goes two hours, you know, it's never a two minute thing.
0: No. I, and I love your, your mindset. And it says somebody that like literally spent years, Combing for the secret device or, you know, hack or this side of the other, it comes down to the basic fundamentals. Are you, you know, are you sleeping enough? Are you eating a a healthy diet? Are you engaging in healthy relationships?
1: Yeah. Do you exercise?
0: Do you have some type of mental health practice? Mm -hmm. If the elite athletes would do these five things, You don't need like, yes, massage does help with delayed onset muscle soreness. There's some pretty good evidence about that. Let's forget about the massage. Let's forget about the red light therapy. Let's forget about the cryotherapy and all that stuff. Knock off these five things and be really good at them. And you'll be surprised how much more physical and psychological stress you can take on and recover.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And even like with massage, it's one of the most popular things, you know, techniques. I love it. I think most people do. When you look at the science, it's not, you know, there's all these explanations that are given, you know, it's flushing lactic acid, which is, that's bogus, doesn't do that. All these things, there aren't, you know, a lot of verified physiological benefits that it has, but you know what it does? It makes you lie down and relax for 20 minutes or an hour. And I think we really negate, you know, we want to have this sort of bonafide explanation. And, you know, for some reason, we think that if we have some scientific sounding thing where, you know, yes, it's changing the pH of, you know, your white blood cells and your, you know, some kind of, you know, it's hurting on X, Y gene and blah, 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 you know, instead of like, well, yeah, it's just really good to relax for an hour. Like for some reason that, you know, sort of pseudoscientific explanation seems superior. And and we, we view that as more important when in reality, I mean, what recovery really is, is it's give, your body a chance to recuperate. You're giving it mm-hmm. the resources. You know, you basically are seeking a state of reduced stress because all of the things that you might be recovering for, from, whether it's you know high level intense exercise, hard training, or if it's you know trying to recover from a stressful job or whatever, what you're really needing is to remove those stresses. And so anything you can do that lessens the stress, the psychological stress, the life stress, the physical stress. And it's interesting when you look at it and psychological stress. And, and you know, things I like to think of as life stress um, can provoke a lot of the same physiological changes in your body. People don't recognize this, you know, increase the exact heart rate. same thing. Yeah, to your body, it's HPA axis. Yeah. I mean, yeah.
0: you're activating the same like stress is a generic response.
1: Exactly. And,
0: and that's why I really went down the rabbit hole recently into this, uh-huh. uh, like how exercise there's something called the cross stressor hypothesis where they uh-huh. look at like how exercise can impact, you know, your ability to adapt to global psychological stress, not yeah. maybe something very specific, but just general stress it's cuz you're turning on the same systems.
1: Yeah, that's right. And
0: your body gets better at switching on, switching off, switching on, switching off. And so the cool thing about I think about exercise is you are intentionally stressing the body. Yeah. And you're allowing yourself to switch it off. And then these mm-hmm. other components are like you said, I love this, I wrote it down, seeking a state of reduced stress. You're yeah. dialing it back intentionally.
1: That's right. Exactly. And so and that's a yeah, that was- beautiful
0: way to look at it.
1: The other thing is to think about you know why are you training if you're an athlete you're not training just just to train you're training with this explicit idea that you're going to force these adaptations right and those mm. adaptations don't happen during the stress during the exercise itself. It's you, you're creating this micro damage to your muscles, and it's it's during the downtime, it's during those states of reduced stress that your body goes in and makes those repairs, and that's what makes you fitter, faster, stronger. Mm-hmm. And so, without those times of of rest and recovery, you're just stress, stress, stress. And what ends up happening is you're just breaking down, breaking down, breaking down. You need to have those periods of replenishment too. And I think so often we have the mindset of like wanting to do as much as you can. But if you think about it, that's kind of the, the wrong, it's almost backwards thinking. What you want to be doing is creating the adaptations that you're seeking with the least amount of stress possible. So you want to like train as little as you can. And it's really interesting. I just wrote, actually, it was kind of funny. I
0: Y'all couldn't see, I was raising my arm in the
1: air. Yeah, it was great. It was a victory <laughs> stance. Um, so I just wrote, I, I can find the link and you can put it in the show notes. I wrote a piece for the Washington Post earlier this year about this concept of minimal effective dose for strength training. yeah. yeah. some really great, great great evidence now that really, you know, you don't need to lift a bunch of sets and things like this. And that in some ways, you know, it really depends, you know, it's a little bit circumstantial. If you're an elite athlete, your needs may be slightly different, but for most of us, you know, we can really do a lot less and get the benefits. And this is well-established in some pretty cool real life scenarios and whatever. And it was pretty fun. Right after I published that story, one of the guys I'd interviewed ended up was speaking, we, we were both speaking at this strength conference together. So that was pretty cool. <laughs> the gets to meet him in person after uh writing the story. But uh, I, I think Dr. Pretty- Chris
0: Morris, who's on our team at AIM7, when I was at Kentucky, did the foundational research on fluid periodization.
1: Uh-huh.
0: And demonstrating that. You know, if you can measure your biological states of readiness and then you can match how much training based off of how your body is that day, we were able to demonstrate with football players over an eight week training period that they can get 150 to 500% more improvement than the people doing the same program exercising right next to them. But what we do is we modify it. You know what? The common denominator across the people that have better adaptation was less training volume.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: They actually trained less and got better. And so, you know, the problem with having a program that's written down Monday, Wednesday, Friday, or Monday, you know, four days a week, I'm gonna do this is your body just may not be ready to adapt to that volume, intensity, or even type of stress.
1: That's right. So this is where
0: intuition and then the right, you know, looking at your HRV or something like that can Mm -hmm. be a good signal to dial up or down. So 100%, the minimal effective dose, you know, but you would tell that to a coach and they'd be like, whoa, whoa, whoa.
1: Exactly. You're you're
0: soft. Like, no, we're actually want to get better.
1: (laughs) Exactly. No, absolutely. You're right. And I I think, you know, we, we need to be cognizant too that, you know, the exercise and the training is stress. And stress Mm. can also lead to injury. things like that so you really you do want to minimize it you don't want to eliminate it at all right because you you know that's what you need to get better but you you want to sort of do the minimum not the maximum because if you if you're doing more stress to get the same effect then you're just sort of exposing yourself to the downsides without any benefit so if i love it it. right
0: so outside of this publication that we're going to put in the show notes, where can people find you, follow you, see and read the latest of what you're putting yeah.
1: out? That's a good question. Now that kind of Twitter is sort of dead. I don't know. <laughs> I'm still finding my, my new social media. I do have an Instagram. Actually, my Instagram and Twitter, I am still on Twitter, okay. is CragCrest, C-R-A-G-C-R-E-S-T, sort of like craggy Crest. It's It's <laughs> named after my favorite trail run here in Colorado. My name's just very long to have as a Twitter handle. So, so that's we'll my handle. We'll put this in the show notes yeah. so they okay, can easily great.
0: follow up. But definitely worth a follow. You're always putting out great stuff. Thanks. Thank you so much for joining me today to talk about this.
1: Oh, my pleasure. Nice talking with you, Eric.
0: Thanks again for listening to the Blueprint Podcast. And if you enjoyed today's episode with Christy, would you please consider sharing this with a friend or a loved one that could benefit from hearing this conversation? Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you on the next episode.